Amen. All right. So I was asked to make an announcement for you, and I try to go with the flow of the service. And I know we're getting ready to get into the uh, sharing part, I guess you would say, of the service. But for our youth, and I'm looking at my wife so that she might correct me, okay? We've got Power Life that is coming up, and that comes up in July, is that right? So it's coming up in July. And what we've done is we've already reserved spots because we were told if we did not at least reserve spots, then we would be in trouble because they're going to go very fast. Now, here's what we're going to do. In order to reserve those spots, it's about $50. And I'll, I'll give you a little caveat to this in just a minute. But for those of that do want to go and do want to participate, we need to get $50 in by Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, okay? So if you want your child to go, we'd like for you to have $50 by Wednesday. Now, here's the deal, though. Let's say, especially during this time of year in Christmas season, you say, Shane, I'm just not... I don't have it, or let me rephrase, I have it, but I have to spend it on other things. If for whatever reason you are not able to do that, no child is going to be turned away, okay? So what I would like for you to do is, with my wife, wave your hand, and we got, y'all can wave your hands too over here. You see all these hands, and Nikki and everybody, there you go, just making sure. Uh, you get with any of them, and you just let them know the situation will make sure things are taken care of. Now you say the actual events uh, a little over $300 and you say "Woo, that's a lot of money too well they are traveling down to St. Simon's area so they're going to be going a good bit away but we're going to have fundraisers that are going to be happening up until May so that all of these things can be paid for and hopefully we won't have to come up with anything but once again uh, you need to be here, you need to participate and do those things so that we can make sure that you got plenty of money to be able to go. That being said, in, did I miss anything, Misty? That's the first time in my life I've never missed anything. I'll give her a minute, she'll think of something. Okay. If you will open your hearts with me as we pray, and then we uh, will receive from the Spirit of the living God what God would have for us today. Father, in the name, in the name above every name, the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, Father, we ask you now to please move upon our hearts, to please give us ears to hear, to give us hearts to receive, and Father, just to uh, wills to obey. Father, help us. Speak to us, challenge, change us. God, do that which only you can do. We love you and we praise you, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. Question. And I just want you to think about it for me. I'm not necessarily wanting you to answer, but I want you to think along these lines. Now, last Sunday's message was a little tough, but you have to understand whenever you're preaching and you're sharing, you preach the full counsel of God. You can't just pick... I guess you'd say cherry pick this, cherry pick that, and say, well, I only want to say something that's going to make somebody smile. I only want to make, you know, sure that people are feeling good and patted on the back. Well, I've got news for you. That's not the way Jesus preached. There was a time when Jesus was riding through Jerusalem, and the apostles looked down and said, Jesus, look at the temple. This has to be the most beautiful temple, we, you know, in the universe and everything. Jesus said, yeah, you see this temple? Not one stone's going to be left upon the other. 
So was Jesus just being a drag? Or was he advising them not to put too much faith in just structures and things like that? Without the Lord God being there, without his blessing upon it, it's nothing more than a building. Jesus would also tell them that coming up in 70 AD, there's some difficult times ahead. He even told them uh, that whenever he saw the troops gathering around the city, the common thing to do was everybody ran inside the city. That's what they did to protect themselves. You saw the enemy coming, you ran inside the city. Jesus said, don't you do it. He said, get out of the city, run as far away from as you can, because in AD 70, Titus was going to level it. And everybody that was inside it was going to be killed. So what I'm saying is this. I know I gave you two kind of interesting examples, I guess you would say here. But in the full counsel of God, it is not just saints, awesome, wonderful, but it's saints, a reminder of what is happening in the world and what we will be facing as a church. And I do believe in some ways that the church is going to take on a different image. It will be an image, in my opinion, of boldness. I believe it is an image that it is going to take on where we're going to stand up and be firm regardless of what people might say or think. But understand, even with that, we will do that in humility. We will do that in love. But once again, the church cannot. And I'm not talking about Tennessee Avenue. I'm just telling you the church as a whole cannot continue compromising at every single turn, it seems like. And if you ever take a look, I guess, at the publications that are put out by both our denomination and many other good denominations, and you begin to read the challenges that are facing the church, they are not challenges of going out and sharing Jesus. They're challenges of whether or not we're going to still believe God and believe his word. And people, that's scary to me. At which point in our lives did we ever think we were going to get to a point where we look at the Bible and say, well, I guess we can take it or leave it. I got news for you. You leave this book, you might as well just leave the whole kit and caboodle. Okay? That's just the way it is. But today the message is going to be somewhat different. It's called this, Hear the Heart of the Lord. Hear the heart of our God. And we're going to be looking at a passage in just a moment. But what I want you to understand is there is this difficulty, there is this friction, if you will, that exists in the preaching of the Word. And it also exists within the hearts of Christian people. So please follow what I'm, what I'm going to share with you, and I hope that this resonates with you, because I believe that it is what the Spirit of God will tell us today. If I were to say, how hard is it to walk with God? Some people might say, well, on a actual day-to-day -day denying your flesh is not necessarily an easy thing because you have to tell your flesh no. And if there is one thing in our lives that does not like to be told no, it is our flesh. It wants to do what it wants to do, okay? It's part of the human condition. But on the other side of it, does God come to us and say, look, I need you to build churches that are no less than 10,000 seat churches, and you better make sure that every seat in that church is occupied by, by people. And every Sunday, I need you to be baptizing at least 1,000 people. Does that sound like the gospel either? Now, that's nice. That would be good if we could see those kinds of things. But what are we really setting up there? Are we walking with God or has religion? Now, I, I want you to bear with me because this does happen. But the work of ministry can become your God rather than God. 
Let me say that again so that you understand because this happens to pastors many times. The work of ministry becomes more our God than the God of our ministry. Because there's so much that we feel like we need to be involved with. There's so much that we feel like we need to do and to be about or we're just not going to do it. Now listen to the way this is phrased. If we don't have A, B, C, and D, and if we're not making sure that this program over here is implemented and we're not reaching this group or if we're not really stirring this group and doing this, this, and this, and this, then, listen to it, our church is not going to work. Well, there's a couple problems there. Number one, it's not ours. We have been entrusted with the church, but the church is not ours. The church belongs to the Lord. The church is not the building. The church is the people. And the second you walk in these doors loving Jesus Christ, then, my friends, we experience the church as it was meant to be. Whenever you worship, then the praises of of his people, he begins to inhabit them. He begins to move upon the hearts of the people. Then we have the church. And the fact is, is whether you have four walls or not, or two or three, or let's just say you're standing outside there by yourself, and then you have another Christian come up and you decide to get together to honor God and to pray, there is God in your midst. You know, one of the major problems in the church today, and I'm going to say this, and I'm not talking about here, I'm talking about all of us. We have a form, quoting scripture, we have a form of religion. We have a religion shell that's kind of around us. You know, we, we, we look spiritual, we look preachy, we look all of those things. But the Bible says we deny the power thereof. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power. That's the thing, people. We deny the power of God. And when we deny the power of God, we deny the moving of the Spirit in the church. And people are like, well, no, 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 no. I absolutely believe in the moving of the Spirit of God within the church. Then how in the world can you deny his power? What, is God just going to walk by and whisper? Or maybe he's going to walk by and tap people on the shoulder and tell them to do something? No. I believe the same truth that was taught in both Haggai and Zechariah, minor prophets, Whenever they went to rebuild the temple, and I find it interesting that the whole discussion is about rebuilding the house of God. In this context, we're not just simply talking about a church building, we're talking about the actual temple. The place where God said that he would dwell among his people forever. And if you remember, his only caveat to that was, if you do not listen to me, if you rebel against me, if you worship other gods, if you reject me, I will cast this house out of my sight. And he did. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to make my son shine here. I'm testing him to make sure he knows. And when did God destroy Jerusalem by Babylon? What years? I love you. That's in Bible class, trust me. They are being taught. 586, 587. Nebuchadnezzar himself joined his forces together. God had already told them through the prophet. He said, why must you die? 
Why must this temple be wiped out? He said, just listen to me. And they wouldn't. He said, here is what I tell you. Humble yourselves under the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. Do what he says. Period. Think about it. A pagan. But God says, I raised him up because of this reason. He said, if you will not bow your knee to me, you'll bow your knee to him. I'll make sure of it. And God absolutely destroyed. When I say destroyed, I mean, I mean leveled Jerusalem. But what does it take? Let me go back rather than pushing too far. What does it take to please God? What does God really want from us? You know, in studying the scriptures and especially studying them at length and, and teaching these classes and looking at the Old Testament as a whole, we have discovered something. There are sins that people commit, but there is one sin over and above any other sin that really outraged God. Out of everything that Israel did, the one thing that kept coming back, the one thing that God kept warning them about, and they kept returning to is this, idolatry. Idolatry. Now let me explain that to you. When you think about it, idolatry is this. That one sin that when God gave the Ten Commandments, the very first words that came out of his mouth was this. I am the Lord your God. That is a positive thing. It's positive. I'm your God. Same thing he told Abraham. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. I'll make a great nation out of you. All you have to do is listen to me. Obey me. So, God takes these people. He blesses them. But he tells them, I need you to obey me. So he takes them to Mount Sinai. He gives them the Ten Commandments. And it says, I am the Lord your God. First thing, thundering. The Bible says not only the lightning was going on, but also the very ground. There was an earthquake going on when God spoke. And the people were so afraid of the voice, they told Moses, please, please, Moses, tell the Lord not to speak lest we die. His voice was that powerful that they thought that they were going to die. But God was showing Moses, and Moses even told this to the people. He says, God has brought you here today to put the fear of the Lord in you, that you might know he's real. That he's a true and a living God. He's the one that brought you out of Egypt. And he says, this is what God has to say to you today. He says, I am the Lord your God, and thou shalt have no other gods before me. Number one commandment. Don't make graven images. Don't do anything. And there is not a time that I can find in all of Israel's history. Now, I'm not saying we didn't have some good, good kings that tried to get rid of these things from time to time. But Israel held on to them, hair teeth and eyeballs. They wouldn't give them up. And people that ultimately led to the destruction of the temple. It led to the exile. It led to 40, no, excuse me, 70 plus years in exile. And here's what ends up happening. I'm going to come to Malachi here in just one sec. But there's something that God truly, truly desires. And it's not something that is so big, so monumental 
that, that, that requires, you know, us to, to work for hours on end to even be able to please God. That's not it at all. But what's going to happen is Israel has been angry with God. Now, imagine this for a minute. God has not only taken your ancestors from bondage in Egypt. He has not only chosen you in Abraham. He has not only watched over you while you were in Egypt. He has delivered you with all these plagues. He delivered you with all these signs and wonders, the death of the firstborn and the Passover. He takes you out to a sea. He literally parts the sea, dry land. You walk across on this land. You get to the other side. We've got water coming from a rock. We've got manna on the ground. We've got God doing everything for them. And do you know what their response is? Complaints. Complaints. Food's not good enough. We need, we need quail. We were better off in Egypt. People, it's so wrong. And you know, I used to wonder, I said, well, God, we're really not like that. I mean, think about it. We should be grateful. We should be saying, okay, God, you've done so much for us. I mean, come on. In Jesus Christ himself, God lives, lives inside of you and me. We have salvation. God loves us, watches over us at every single moment. And we come in faith and in repentance and God forgives the most wicked of sins. And yes, you listen to me right now. There's not one sin that's too big for God. Not one. Okay? Now people say, what about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? That's not a sin like you're thinking of it. That has to do with the searing of the conscience before the Spirit of God. We can go into that in another day. But as far as anything that you might have committed, I've got news for you. God's bigger than that. If you will hear his voice today, God can forgive you too and make you white as snow, period. So here's what's happening. The people continue in rebellion and not only have they been blessed, not only have they been brought back to their homeland, they've been in exile, God's brought them back from their homeland and now here they are, you know, they're, they're, they're there to rebuild the temple, do all these kind of things, but then they start complaining. They start complaining against God and start accusing God. So I want you to hear what God has to say. Okay? God bless the reading of his word. Micah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. God bless the reading of his word. Micah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. We'll go through about verse 8. It'll be on the screen if you do not have your Bible. I always encourage you to bring your Bible because you might want to make a note. <laughs> but it says this. Hear now what the Lord says. Now he's speaking to his people. He says, arise, plead your case before me. Oh, excuse, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. In other words, lift up your voice as loud as you want to. Let all creation hear it. If you've got something to accuse me of, let them hear it. Come on. God says, here it is. If you earnestly believe that I have done you wrong, if you earnestly think that God has let you down, he said, let's hear it. All right. And then after that, he says, here. Then God changes it to him from the people to himself. He says, here, oh, you mountains, the Lord's complaint. I have a complaint too. 
And he said, you strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a complaint against all his people, and he will contend with Israel. So verse 3 says, oh, my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to you? Now, you've got to think this is beautiful because God is speaking. These are not just human words. This is God speaking through a prophet. And he looks at his people and he says, what have I done to you? Um, excuse me, I'm about to cough. But we were studying just the other day. I want to say it was in um, Malachi. But either way, when we were studying just the other day, here's something that God said. He said, I got a problem with you, Israel. He said, I really do. He said, I bless you. He said, I watch over you. I do everything that I can to try to show you that I love you. But he says, you don't love me back. And this is what he said. He said, as an example, he said, you priest, the people that, that, that were here upon the earth, you know, speaking to ministers, he said, you don't love me either. But he said, because you lie in your scheme. And this is what he said. He said, how have you, you want to know how you have let me down. You want to know how you have hurt me, the Lord your God. He said, when you come to offer sacrifices to me, he said, you bring sick animals, blind animals, crippled animals. You think about this. We're supposed to take one of the best, right? Or some of the best. But the best that we have, we're supposed to bring before God. And what they would do is they would look out among their flocks and say, well, that one's dying anyway. Why don't we take that one and why don't we bring it to God? And you know what God's response was? He says, you don't think I have a reason to be upset? He said, take that same animal you offered to me. And he said, go take it to your governor's house and see if he likes it. People, I'm going to tell you something that you know that you do know, and you know very well, because you do love God, and you do walk with the Lord. But I want you to hear this. God wants people to legitimately, sincerely, deep down in their hearts, love him back. That's what he wants. When God tells us that something is not good for us, when God says that we ought not be engaged in something, God is not trying to rob you of fun. He's not doing that. God knows who we are as human beings. He knows what our weaknesses are. And God down the road can see what destruction and pain, torment that is coming your way. And he tells you no. Let me give you a prime example talking about the exile. You might not think that that's a big deal, but whenever you have a nation come in and snatch you up by the hair of the head and tell you what to do and kill all your friends and neighbors, you won't like it so much. But God allows nations to come in to discipline his people because they won't listen to him. They won't do anything that he says. He says that he loves you, and he says, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And he says this to them. He says, if you will not listen to me, he said, this nation is coming. 
And it's, he says, it is going to judge you. It is going to tear down your walls. It is going to destroy your temple. It's going to lay waste to everything that you have. And God says, why must this happen? Please bow your knee to me and know that I am the Lord your God. And the human being refused. Refused. Having seen what was done to the nations just around them, they refused. Why? Why? Why is a human being that cotton-picking stubborn? Why? You know, we'd like to think today, we'd look back and say, well, you know, if that was us, we, we wouldn't have done it. We would have listened to God. Well, you do have the benefit of the Holy Spirit working in you. But here's the deal, folks. The reason why God tells us not to do things is because we have a propensity, a draw to destroy ourselves. We, anytime in our hearts, we must be first. We must be the best. We must have. Whenever all this stuff comes in and in order for us to feel like we are somebody that we have to have all of these other things added to us, and we have to stand in these positions, ultimately people look through history, it happens time and time again, we will abuse our power and we will hurt our neighbor or destroy our neighbor. We always do. Because whenever the flesh is in control, you can expect nothing else. But when Christ is in control, when Christ is in control of your heart and life, then we can change things for the good because we do not bow our knee to the flesh. We do not bow our knee to our appetites. There is one who is greater than, and he speaks to us, and he tells us, no, you cannot do that. And then we realize, okay, well, God, what? How now must we live? How can we please you, Lord God? And then we live. Now, people, this isn't a difficult message. It's never difficult. You know, ultimately, preaching is about a handful of messages. That's what it is. They change the different scriptures and stuff like that, but that's really what pastoring is. There is a message that God sends into the world. We just got to listen to it. let me move on here. So God says to his people, he says, what have I done to you? Verse three, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Can you imagine how arrogant that is? You know, I, how many of you have children? Come on, come on, come on. Some, some of you embarrassed. Y'all like, I I don't have any children. (laughs) They grown up. They're not children anymore. Okay. But anyway, you got, you got a lot of people in here that have children, okay? I understand that. And let's say one day you are looking to your child. You're trying to have that communication, okay? I'll pick on my son because my daughter normally, normally is listening, okay? And you, you look at him and you try to explain life to him, okay? And, and I'm drawing on this because of the statement, how is it? How have I wearied you? Imagine this. I'm talking to Nicholas saying, Nicholas, this is the way it's got to be, okay? You can't do this. You can't do that. And he looks at me and he goes, ah. He doesn't say you're just, Dad, you're wearying me with all your nonsense and all your blabbing. It's like nails on a chalkboard to listen to you talk to me. You're going into exile. 
by the right foot of fellowship is what you're going to do. <laughs> I'm going to snatch you up. That pretty long hair you got, there are going to be three sprigs up there. I'm going to have more hair than what you got. Okay? So this is the truth. I'm going to snatch you up. Somebody to look up at God and go, can you hurry it up? You're wearying me, God. You know, so you just want to do one of those. So how have I wearied you? Okay? He said, testify against me. For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He said, I redeemed you from the house of bondage. He says, go ahead, tell me how awful I am. You know, I'm I'm just the one that brought you up out of the house of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery there. Listen, listen, he said, I sent before you even leaders like Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. He says, oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled. And it says what? Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And it talks about from the Acacia Grove to Gilgal. If you go back, you remember Balak went to Balaam, who was a soothsayer kind of guy, and I guess qualified kind of as a quasi-prophet type situation. But what he was trying to do is the king was trying to get Balaam to curse Israel. Curse Israel. And God would not allow him to do it. Every time he tried to curse Israel, God stood against him. And at the end, he was going to kill him. Send an angel down. Going to, I guess, smote him right off of his donkey. Because the Bible says he would have spared the donkey. That shows you God's love and care for animals. But he said, I would have killed you and I would have spared her. But either way, here's something: somebody who is wanting to do evil to Israel. And these people have conspired to do it. But what has God done? God has stood in the way and said, no. You will not, you will not hurt these people, but you will bless these people. And he shows them once again, when people go to curse you, have I not stood in the way of it? Okay. He said, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. Verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Now look, so he says, people may ask a question now. Now here's kind of the crux of what I want to talk about whenever we're talking about the heart of God. So people ask a question, so how now? I guess, Lord, okay, I hear what you're saying, so how do you want me to come before you? What is it that you, you want me to do when I come before you? Okay, so they begin discussing this. So if I'm going to come and bow myself, shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Now, people remember each one of these things is prescribed in Scripture. These are things that people were supposed to do. Kind of like David, whenever he had sinned with Bathsheba and he got busted for that, you know, he said, I would offer burnt offerings because that's what he was supposed to do. Well, actually, for adultery, he would have been killed. A lot of people don't catch that, but he was to be stoned. But the sacrifices, yes, they were offered to God to show our hearts broken before God to show that contrition, to say to God, you know, I deserve to be like one of these animals that's being killed here. Please forgive me. So listen to this. He said, shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? In other words, good, first of the flock, right? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Think about that. 
I could just take this entire countryside and I could take all these animals and I could kill every last one of them. Their blood could be pooled everywhere. He said, I could take more oil uh, to honor God, to come to his sanctuary, to make an offering. He said, I could take 10,000 rivers of oil. Yeah, that's what I'll do. And then he goes on, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In other words, what if I was even willing to give up my child, the most important thing that I had? Let's say you had a complete conversion and we won't go like Abraham in the sacrifice. We'll go like um, uh, Samuel's mother whenever she offered him to Eli. You know, said for the rest of his life, he belongs to you. We'll just take it a nice route there. But either way, to say, I would give the most precious thing that I have, even my fruit of my body, I will give that to the Lord. Surely that will please him, right? Now, I find this interesting. I want you to hear the response in verse 8. He says, no. He says, no. He says, he has shown you, O oh man. Take a look at it. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. He's shown you what is right. And what does the Lord require of you? Here's the biggie. Here's the tough stuff. You ready for it? This is that stuff that nobody can sing to do, right? You know, when we were looking at the Old Testament. Do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Okay, how many churches do we have to build in there? How many uh, shelters do we have to build? How many homeless did we have to feed? All of that kind of stuff. That stuff flows from this. God wants people to do justly in this world, maybe even on a daily basis. How many times are you tempted or the thought crosses your mind where something isn't necessarily just? I can tell you in my life, it happens pretty often. There will be a thought, there will be a situation, and we could go around it. We could go around it a different way. But it wouldn't be just. God says that we are to be just people. Period. It is not optional. Now take a look at another thing. To love mercy. God wants us to go the extra mile. That is not to say. Now, now please hear me out. To forgive does not mean that you open yourself up to just let somebody abuse you and hurt you, okay? For instance, let somebody, let's say somebody came to me, and I'm going to give you a weird analogy. Let's say a guy who's 450 pounds of spring still in Raw's hide. It's going to take that much, otherwise he better pack a lunch. But anyway, some of you will get that in just a moment. So let's say he comes to me and he says he's going to abuse me and he beats me. And he beats me within an inch of my life. And then he looks at me and he says, forgive me. I'm sorry. Okay, I forgive you. I forgive you because he sounds sincere. And he keeps coming back day by day and he does the same thing. Well, there's a couple problems here. Number one, he doesn't mean what he's saying, but let's assume, let's assume we're going to be hardcore biblical. If he asks for him, he, we're going to forgive him. Does the Bible say, but tomorrow put your head back in the same guillotine? No, it doesn't. The Bible doesn't say, oh, please, please. You don't chase a person down the street and say, please hit me and abuse me. 
If repentance takes place, we establish boundaries. Okay? So when the Bible's talking about mercy here, it's not saying check your brain at the door and people just say, well, I'm going to take little Billy's you know, college account and I'm just going to give it to that guy standing right there on the side of the road. I mean, if God specifically audibly, you need to go with audibly here. But anyway, if he audibly tells you you need to do something, then sure, by all means, you obey God above anybody else. But what I'm saying in general is that when the Bible says to love mercy, it is to show mercy, to show grace, to help where and when you can, not to the detriment of your family that they suffer. Jesus himself said, if a man has two coats, let him have the one, yes, but give to him who has none. That way you both have a coat. He that has food to eat, let him share with him that has not, so that you both can eat, not so you can do without. God has provided so that we may care for others, but not destroy ourselves. But let's go back and think about this for a minute. The Bible says, what is the Lord required of you? He says, but to do justly, to love mercy, to forgive, to show mercy, even whenever you may have been wrong, to say, okay, you know, I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. And then it says this, and to walk humbly with your God. Not in pride, not in arrogance. As you walk with God, God will teach you and he will show you many, many things. But that is not so you can say, ooh, I'm God's favorite. Ooh, I understand this and you don't. It should bring you to your knees. You know, the Bible is not necessarily just there so that we can point at everybody and tell them how wrong we are. Maybe the Bible is also there to help us understand how much we really don't know and how much we really are different and maybe how much we really need to forgive. That'd be a neat way to look at it, wouldn't it? So today, ooh, somebody should have yelled at me. Some of you are back there right now going, well, Pastor, we've been doing this for 10 minutes. I thought y'all were just playing the drums for me. I didn't know what was happening. What is it? What is it that God wants? What is the heart of God? This is it, folks. He is God. God isn't looking for an equal, but he is looking for his children. Listen to that again. God's not looking for his equal, for there is none like him. But God is looking for his children, and he wants you. Make no mistake, God wants you. He loves you. He cares about you. You might say, I'm full of sin. Well, there's good news. He can clean that up. He wants to clean that up, and he will take that away from you if you will let him. But you've got to lay down at his feet and say, you're the Lord, and the rest of my life is yours. And he'll take care of all that other stuff. God wants to walk with you. Yes, like Adam and Eve in the garden. He wants to walk with you and talk with you. And he tells me I am his own. Okay, for those of you that know that song. And he walks with me and he talks. I'm sorry, that was just right on the tip of my song. I, I, okay, I'm shutting up now. But here's the thing. He does. 
If anybody tells you that you cannot have a living, vibrant relationship with God, they have lied to you. And they do not know the Lord. God longs for this, but this is what God wants you to do. Listen to me. If God wants a cathedral built somewhere, he will call those people to do it. He will. And we may be some of those people. But by and large, do you know what God wants? He wants you to walk around in a world that is fallen and he wants you to heal people. Yes, I said it, heal people. Whether praying for them for their physical bodies or whether it be encouraging words, whether it be just to listen, to hear, God wants you to be Jesus to somebody. That's what he wants. He wants you to go into this world and to love him. Just say, I love you, Lord, above all things. And God, my desire is to love you above all things. God, I'll fail, I know. But I do want you to be number one. Please forgive me of my sins. And then as I go through this world, Father, give me opportunity to find somebody to love, to invest in, to encourage, to lift up, to point back to you. For without that, people, what good are we? You know what that's called? It's called salt that has lost its saltiness. Doesn't do anything. But I got news for you. With the Holy Spirit, you are as salty as you can possibly be. Matter of fact, my wife says I'm salty all the time. So I guess I got to close things up. But walk with him. Love him. Love the unlovable. Show mercy. Show grace. Bite your tongue. Choose to be merciful and gracious. Love your spouse. Love your children. Love your church. Coming January, this is going to be the call, people. Everybody here, on deck, ready to rock and roll. Everybody. You say Sunday? Well, it's Sunday night and Wednesday night too. But yeah. Oh, wait a minute. What was that? Whew. It's like, you know, Pastor, we were with you until you said that, you know, because anyways, worship team's coming. What I'm saying is we want you involved and we're going to have things for you to be involved in. We want you shining for Jesus. There's just no other way for a Christian to be. If you're going to shine, shine for Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, this little light of mine, that was one of my favorite songs. Not putting it in a bushel. You're not going to puff it out. You're not going to do anything. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Today, if God is dealing with your heart, if he's calling you and letting you know, that for whatever reason, listen, folks, the truth is, is I can give you all kinds of examples, but God speaks in his services and he speaks among his people. And if God's speaking to you, he put his hand on you for a reason. Do not look to your right or to your left. Who cares who's to your right and to your left? I don't care if I was standing in this room with a bunch of seminary professors that I love and respect and every pastor that I've ever been with, shared with, taught me, or I taught them. If God spoke to my heart and said, you ain't in it, I got news for you. Y'all better get out of my way because I will trip you on the way up. I don't care what people say. It's not about you or what anybody else says. It's about Jesus. Today, 
respond as God speaks to you. As they're singing, there's room to my right, there's room to my left. You can stand, you can kneel, you can sit on the front row. Today, if you don't know Jesus, that's part of it too. It doesn't have to be why you come down, but it could be. If you don't know him or you're struggling, please respond as God speaks to you. If you please stand. All to Jesus I surrender All to Him I freely give I will ever love and trust Him In His presence daily I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I for one today. 10% off of all ties. Y'all are pitiful. <laughs> the Lord bless you today. The Lord keep you today. As they would say many years ago, may he cause his face to shine upon you and to give you peace. You are God's people. You are precious people. And you are empowered by his spirit. I ask God's grace upon you. Lord, keep you in Jesus' name. You're dismissed.